listen to me, living, true living is not amassing everything that we can here to live a life of ease and coast into heaven. True living is learning day by day to die to my selfish desires, my wants, and learning, learning, I'm still learning, I am still learning how to put Christ first. Is anybody not awake yet? Anybody afraid to admit you're not awake yet? Afraid I might do something if you're not awake yet. Okay, so if you're awake, then that means your brains are engaged, right? Well, maybe. Maybe. Okay? Well, I want to see if, you, uh, if your brain is engaged here this morning. And so I'm going to give you five sentences. Five sentences. And uh, maybe you've used these sentences, maybe you've heard people use these sentences, and I want to see if you can pick up on what kind of sentences they are. All right, here's the first one. So um, Kathy and I were making plans uh, to go to a restaurant. Valentine's Day was last week, and so we were talking about, you know, what kind of restaurant we wanted to go to, and, and so she mentioned the restaurant, and I said, nobody goes to that restaurant, it's just too crowded. Anybody, use that? Anybody ever used that sentence before? All right, okay, here's the next one. Hey, Johnny, don't go near the water until you learn to swim. Don't go near the water until you learn to swim. Okay? Anybody use that one before? Okay? How about this one? Man, if I know something, if I know nothing, I know nothing at all. If I know something, I know nothing at all. Okay, there's that one. Or how about this one? You're sitting there and you're having a conversation with your spouse, and it's one of those conversations where you got to go a little bit deeper, and you say to your spouse, you know, deep down, you are really shallow. <laughs> okay, that's another one. This is probably my favorite, and I have actually used this sentence, and uh, so, you know, I've get my cell phone out, I go to call somebody, got to make a connection, pick up the phone, and it classically goes to their voicemail, and you know, the drill, leave a message after the beep, and so the beep comes, and I leave a message like this, hey, hey man, if you get this message, give me a call, if you don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> Anybody ever use that one? Come on now, don't leave me hanging. Okay, try and use that one this week on someone. Just watch what happens. Just see what happens. So what are these sentences? What are they? Anybody have a guess? What are they? What? What is it? Double negative. It is a double negative, but there's a, there is a specific type of term for these kinds of sentences. They're called paradoxes. Paradoxes. Here's the definition of a paradox. A paradox is a statement of conclusion made up of self-contradictory or absurd phrases. That's a paradox. And you hear people say things all the time like this. So I, I thought, man, I'm just going to do some research on paradoxes. And let me tell you, do not Google paradoxes. <laughs> you will be in for an endless plethora of knowledge, of paradox. I'm just a simple guy. I just wanted to know about paradoxes. And so 
man, there are all kinds, I learned, there are logical paradoxes and mathematical paradoxes and literary paradoxes. There's grammatical paradoxes, uh, like this one, if you could travel back in time and kill your grandfather, would you be born? Well, I, how do you figure that one out? Right? It's a paradox. Well, in this physical world in which we live, you and I are bound by certain scientific and natural laws, aren't we? I mean, that's just the way it is. For example, I mean, uh, if I were to uh, hold this up and let it go, I'm not going to do that, but if I let it go, what's going to happen to it? What's it going to do? It's going to drop. Why, why is that? Gravity, right? We understand that. And uh, uh, if we dabble in the realm of physics, any physics majors out there? Anybody physics? That you love physics? It's very rare that anybody loves physics. So, okay, but did you learn anything in physics? No, no, you didn't learn anything in physics. But I bet you did. I bet you did because you know one of Newton's third laws of physics. You know his third law. For every action, there's an equal and opposite Ah, so you did learn something in physics. Your physics teacher grilled that into you. You had no idea. But you learned it in life because if you're a sibling, if you punch your brother in the face, right, exactly, right? So you know that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And then if you go into the realm of thermodynamics, that's where Pastor Roger dabbles in there. He likes those things. Well, there are so many other rules there. There are four laws governing that. These laws are unchangeable and they're irrevocable to you and I, aren't they? But here's the question. What happens when God steps in? What happens when God steps in? And I'm here to tell you that we serve a God who is not bound by the laws of nature, science, and physics, or thermodynamics, or even the laws of gravity. As a matter of fact, we serve a God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, and always present. That defies all of those laws. How can it be? Right? How can that be? Well, because He's God. And God is not like us. And we, contrary to some teaching, are not little gods. We are human, and He is God. He is perfect, and we are not. Now, when we think about this, when we think about this, this is why Jesus could walk on water that defa defies the law of gravity. I mean, if I, I've tried it. I've, tr I've tried it. You know you have too, all right? I've tried it. It doesn't work. That's why he could raise the dead. That's why he could feed the multitudes with five loaves and two fish. Uh, that's why uh, he knows what people are thinking. That's why he could disappear if needed. He could calm the sea. He could love the unlovable. He could create from Nothing. Something. That's God. And we serve a God who is absolutely awesome and He is not bound by your circumstances. So if that is true, that we serve an awesome God, and it's true that we serve a God that is not bound by your physical or scientific or natural laws, would it be safe to say that you can trust Him with your life? 
right? I mean, that's a logical conclusion. If God, who is not bound by time and space and matter and distance and all of those things, and who is in absolute control, then can you trust Him with your life? And that's the bigger question. And we serve a God who's absolutely awesome. And within the pages of Scripture, we come across a number of, of amazing paradoxes. These can't be figured out on paper. They, they don't make sense with science. They can't be ruled by nature. They don't work on paper. But nevertheless, they're divine, and when God is behind them, they are true. Our job is not to figure out how they work. Our job as a child of God is to obey and let God do His part. Just obey and let God do His part. Just be obedient and let God take care of the rest. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Very simple. I don't even have an outline for you to put up on the screen. You can write these down. You will never forget them, I promise you. Well, maybe some of you might forget them. But they're very simple. And we're just going to look at three paradoxes that we find in the Bible. The first one is this. In order to live, you have to die. You knew it. You already knew it. In order to live, you have to die. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And we're going to look at verse 34. And 35. Mark chapter 8. And I want you to notice verse 34 and 35. Notice Jesus is teaching here. And he's calling his disciples together. And he's going to outline to them something very serious. That is lacking in the modern church today. Listen to what he says. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, he said unto them, here it is, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Here we find a divine paradox. Jesus said, in order for you and I to live, we have to learn to die. Now that doesn't work out on paper, does it? doesn't work out on paper. And to the natural man, it sounds even absurd. But Jesus was laying out the true cost of following Christ. The true cost of being a disciple of Christ. Jesus did not sugarcoat anything. You didn't have to wonder, where's he coming from on this? He knew exactly how to say what he needed to say in the time that he said it to reach the people that needed to hear it. He knew exactly what he was doing. And if you and I are going to be a follower of Christ, then you and I must not only learn to die to self, but if need be, brothers and sisters, listen to me very close, and if need be, to die for him physically, as many of our brothers and sisters do all around this world. They do all around this world. You say, well, 
Brother Sean, I didn't sign up for this when I came to Christ. I just want to kind of go through life and on easy street and kind of coast into glory. Well, tell that to the disciples. Tell that to the apostles. Do you know how they died? Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, killed by a sword wound. That guy, that Matthew, the one, the guy that was a tax collector, remember that guy who was a publican? Remember him? Jesus went to him at the booth and said, follow me. Two words, follow me. Matthew didn't know, okay, what is all that going to mean? What's that going to mean for my life? Well, Jesus made it very clear. When you follow me, Matthew, probably you're going to die. Yeah, well, Matthew died, suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, killed by a sword room. Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt, after being dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Luke was hanged by idolatrous priests on an olive tree in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost. John faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. However, he was miraculously delivered from death. Somehow, God rescued him. John was then sentenced to the mines in the island of Patmos. The apostle John was then later freed and returned to serve as the bishop of Edessa in modern Turkey. He died as an old man, the only apostle to die peacefully. The only one. Peter was crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross because he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus Christ was crucified. That's the same guy that said, I don't know him, I don't want to know him, and I deny him. Something changed after the resurrection. And now Peter said, I know him, I will always know him, and I will die for him, but I'm unworthy to die in the way he died. Crucify me upside down. James the Just was thrown over a hundred feet down from the southwest pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. And when they discovered that he survived his fall, his enemies beat James to death with a club. James the Greater was beheaded in Jerusalem. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was martyred for his preaching in Armenia when he was flayed to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary trips to establish the church in the subcontinent. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Matthias, he was the guy that was chosen to replace Judas. Remember that? That guy? He was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas was stoned to death at Salonica. Paul was tortured and beheaded by the evil Emperor Nero in Rome in 67 AD. You see, they understood that to be a follower of Christ might cost me my life. I've often thought, Pastor Roger, if I was in a position where I was the choice given to deny my faith or stand for Jesus. I hope that I would be able to stand. Somehow God gives something in that moment that I don't have right now. You don't have right now. But Jesus made it very, very clear. If you want to live, you've got to die. And that might mean you might need to die for me 
because you know me. I encourage you to read the book Jesus Freaks. It's kind of an interesting story, interesting title, I should say. Jesus Freaks, there's a couple of them. There's Jesus Freaks 1, I think there's Jesus Freaks 2. But they are real stories of real modern-day martyrs who have stood to the end, not denying our Lord. I'll tell you what, Pastor Roger, you know, I, I don't know. I know you feel the same way as I do. But I get so sick and tired of this prosperity gospel that is being pandered to the masses and pushed over the networks that if promises health and wealth and miracles, if you send your money to the guy on TV, do you know what they call that? You know what that's really called? That's called a Ponzi scheme. When someone else gets rich off of you, that is a Ponzi scheme. It's nothing new. They've been around. They just repackage them differently. That is not the gospel that we find in our Bibles. That is not that gospel. Listen to me. Living, true living, is not amassing everything that we can here to live a life of ease and coast into heaven. True living is learning day by day to die to my selfish desires, my wants, and learning, learning. I'm still learning. I am still learning how to put Christ first. That's what we're learning and when you do that, you will find yourself truly living. Listen to me. In order to live, you've got to die. Very simple. First paradox that we looked at. Secondly, second paradox. In order to be first, you've got to be last. In order to be first, you've got to be last. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. By the way, let me just say this back to that last point, that true cost of discipleship. Remember, Jesus was teaching his disciples and he said to them as they were walking, he said, uh, hey, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're a great prophet. And he kind of then stops in the road and, and he kind of makes it very, very, very personal. Okay, but who do you say I am? And Peter responds, Thou art the Christ, the Messiah. I know this. And it's right after that that God kind of hones him in to this teaching that if you want to live, you have to die. Now notice this other uh, paradox. In order to be first, you've got to be last. Matthew chapter 19. And in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is doing a lot of teaching with his disciples and with the apostles. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, we come across another divine paradox. Notice what it says here. But many that are first shall be what? Last. And the last shall be what? First. Right? Jesus said it that way. Now, you have to understand that in the context of this statement, it was a result of a question that Peter asked Jesus back in verse 27. So go back to verse 27 and notice the question that Peter asked Jesus. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed you. What shall we have therefore? What shall we have 
therefore. Jesus, uh, Peter was saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, we have forsaken everything to follow you, and guess what? It doesn't seem to end up very fair. It doesn't seem to end up very fair. Peter was essentially saying, hey, hey, Jesus, when I follow you, it causes me problems wherever I go. I lose family. I lose old friends. People look at me weird. They think I'm nuts. Whatever I have, I end up giving away. Uh, what am I going to finish up with? That was a valid question. And it is at this point that Jesus gives Peter a glimpse of the divine paradox. Look at Jesus' answer in verse 28. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of of Israel. Jesus was essentially saying to Peter, because you are last here, you will be first there. That's what he was saying. And Jesus reinforces this teaching with a parable in chapter 20. Notice in chapter 20, there's the parable right after verse 30, starting at chapter 20, verse 1, the parable of the kingdom of heaven and the laborers in the vineyard. Now, I won't go through that whole parable, but I'll just kind of explain some of the highlights in it. And so right after this, Jesus begins to teach this parable. And uh, there was this owner, and, and uh, we'll kind of put it in, in modern terms so that, that you and I can understand and kind of get it. All right? And so here it is, uh, a guy who uh, owns the fields out here, uh, does not want to give it to the solar panels. He wants to actually farm it. And so... He's kind of, where's my farmers in here? Where's my farmers? Okay, so my farmers, you know, you, you, you need some help, and so you go down to Labor Ready, and, and uh, you, there's guys standing in line, people standing in line. You, you go down to Labor Ready and said, hey, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and I, I need someone to work for me today. Uh, who's going to work for me for, till the end of the day? Uh, I'll give you 20 bucks. And so... Uh, the, couple people raise their hand and, all right come on out and so they take him to the field and then at noontime he goes back down to, to labor ready and he says man i still got more work to do uh who worked for me for 20 bucks and so those guys say yeah i'll work for you for 20 bucks and so they go and they work in the field he does that again at three and he hires more workers and then he goes back again at five o'clock and guess what time quitting time is six six o'clock and so he goes down to the labor ready and, and he says okay i've got one more hour of work who'll work for me for 20 bucks for that hour Man, 20 bucks an hour i'll take 20 bucks an hour i'll do it and then notice what happens look at chapter 20 verses 8 to 16 so when evening was come the lord of the vineyard said unto his steward call the laborers and give them their hire. Notice how he says it. Beginning from the last to the first. Now that kind of goes against the grain. Do I have any uh, uh, elementary school uh, teachers in here? Okay, well I know you work with the little ones in Awana. My grandson's age, right? She does a phenomenal job. I, I, I don't know how she does it. But here's what happens. I've watched it helping in there and it's like this everywhere who wants to be the line leader that question just erupts the entire classroom 
and every kid wants to be the first in line, right? And so imagine the next time the kids, here's a great little lesson. Who wants to be the line leader? I do. Okay, come on, come on right up front, get everybody lined up, and then go to the very last kid and say, hey, you were last, let me take you up front, and you're first. Oh, you were first, and let me make you last, and watch what happens. <laughs> now, we would all laugh at that, but that's what just happened in this parable. That's just what happened. Now, look what happens. Verse 10, or verse 9. And when they came, that they were that were hired the eleventh hour, received every man a penny. Here's his 20 bucks. But when the first came, they supposed, <coughs> excuse me, that they should have received more. And likewise, they likewise received every man a penny. They received also their 20 bucks. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house. How dare him? Now notice. Right? Verse 12, saying, These laugh have robbed but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a penny? Did you not agree to work with me for 20 bucks? Well, yeah, I agreed to work with you for $20. But, so, but they got $20. And I was out there all day. Look at me. I'm sweating. I'm tired. I'm hot. I've been digging. They only worked an hour. I've been out there all day. And notice what Jesus says. But he answered them, verse 13, Friend, I do you no wrong. Did you not agree to work with me for a penny? Notice verse 14. Take what is yours, go thy way, and I will give unto the last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? And now he just is going to flip the table. He is going to put it right back onto the guy. Notice what he says. Is your eye evil because I'm good? Do you have a problem with me when I have done exactly what I have said that I would do and you said that you would do? Do you have a problem? Are you jealous of the guy that got a little bit the same as you and didn't have to work as much as you? Is that your problem or is that my problem? And it's exposing the heart. Yeah, it's a heart problem. And then notice... Verse 16, so the last shall be first and the first last, for many be called, but few are chosen. Let me just ask you a real question. Can you identify with Peter? Can you identify with the guys in this parable who were hired first? I'm just being honest, right? Here's how it kind of plays out. This isn't fair, man. I deserve more than him. I deserve more than this. Why did they get that raise and not me? Why are they driving the nice car and not me? Why did he get that promotion? I have been here longer. Okay, now we're in real terms, aren't we? Yeah. Jesus hits home. Have you ever felt that because you were a Christian, you got passed over or you were treated unfairly? Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 73. But as for me... 
My feet were almost gone. My steps were well nigh slipped. For I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. And then a little bit later in the psalm, he says this, When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I there end. You see, in that last verse, the psalmist expresses the very stark truth of the paradox. Those who think they're first will end up last. You see, in order to be first, you have to be last. And Jesus kind of uh, uh, reiterates this again in another part. And, 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 and right after this, right after this teaching, this is the craziest thing ever. The, the disciples and Jesus are walking along and James and John's mom comes to Jesus right after this teaching about being the first and the last and the last and the first. And his mom kind of pulls Jesus aside and says, um, hey, can we talk for a minute? Uh, sure. What's, what's on your heart? What's on your mind? Uh, well, uh, do you think James and John, my two boys, can sit one on the right hand and one on the left in the kingdom? And I want you to notice, the disciples hear this, and I want you to see how they respond. <laughs> All right, look at verse uh, uh, 24 of chapter 20. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Can't, can't you even just hear it? You got your mama to talk to Jesus about who's going to sit on your right hand and your left hand. I mean, can't you just hear? It's, it's beyond that. It's like, how dare you? Who in the wide world do you think you are? He had just taught about being first and last. It just kind of went, whoop. And so you know what he does? He gets them all back together again. And he says, okay, maybe you missed it. Let me tell you again. And so he says there in verse 25 and 27, Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, the world says you need to step all over whoever you have to to get your health, your wealth, your prosperity, your position. Jesus said, if you want to be at the top, then stay at the bottom. Just stay at the bottom. Listen to me, Lord. I can't figure this out, but I know this. God keeps the score. You and I are just called to be faithful when God has entrusted for us. If you want to be first, then you've got to learn to be last. Notice the third paradox, final one. Final one. Okay, test time. First one was, in order to, you got to die. Second one? Very good. Now, you'll know the third one. Here it is. In order to have you got to give. See, you guys must have read my notes or something. I don't know. Okay, Proverbs chapter 11. Go there. Proverbs chapter 11. Look at another verse. Proverbs chapter 11. And I want you to notice verse 24 and 25. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. And 25. 
Notice what the Word of God says. There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. The Scriptures reveal another divine paradox. A man that gives is the man that increases. The man that holds on to everything always has a need for more. Always has a need for more. The person who gives abundantly shall have plenty, and the person who gives to others will have others give to him. It's just a principle that we find in God's Word. Now, I don't know how this one works out on paper either, but here's what I know. When you give back to God, God gives back many-fold, doesn't He? That's just the way God works. You can't outgive God. You've heard that said before. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Notice that verse there. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> and again, this principle is reiterated. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. And I want you to notice verses 6 through 8. These are very, very familiar verses. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Every man as he have purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love this final verse, verse 8. Notice, and God is able. And God is able to do what? To make what? All grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work listen to me for a moment in the economy that we live in and we find ourselves in it would be very tempting to hold back in our giving i mean after all we're not getting a whole lot anyway right we're just not getting a whole lot anyway and uh, gas prices are on the rise. I was in Gettysburg the other day. I paid three twenty-five for gas over in Gettysburg, and over in Chambersburg, it's three sixty-nine. How is that? It's the same state. I don't understand how all that works. But man, that's a lot. That's a lot at a pump, right? And so I don't understand. Gas prices are through the roof. Food prices are going up. And so people tend to think, man, I just need to hold on to what I have. I hear people say things all the time like, well, I, you know what? I'm not in, really in a position to, to give right now. Well, well, let me just say this. For 95% of us as believers, we're never in a position to give right now, right? I mean, we give because God gives through us. That's why we give. We're that conduit. We're just, the, we're just the thing that God uses to, 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 to channel to someone else or to something else. We're that conduit. And I'm not going to try and use guilt trip to make you give more. Quite frankly, that's kind of lame to do. But I just want to share a little bit of truth. If you are not giving back to God in the area of your finance, you're missing an incredible blessing. You're just missing a blessing. You're missing an opportunity for God to show himself faithful to you as you give, and God gives back to you. Luke chapter 6, uh, 38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, it shall be measured to you again. In order to have, you've got to give. That's what he's saying. Can you trust God with your finances. Do you know, really, our checkbooks are a reflection of our heart. 
They are. The, the checkbook tells us what is important in our lives. Okay, minus the bills, minus those, all the other stuff. Those are the things that are important in our lives, right? And our checkbook reflects that. Listen to me, God did not give you, and I think about this, like if, if I had to go through, if I knew nobody that was, uh, knew how to play these instruments, and I had to go through, and, and I came in here not knowing who played what, and I had to randomly just select people that I think play this instrument, I, I would have no idea. But you, you know God gave you a gift. He didn't give me that gift. I, I could pick up any one of these things, and it's just going to be, I don't even know if it'll be noise. It'll just be something. All right? God didn't give me that gift. Listen to me. God did not give us our gifts and our abilities to keep to ourselves. God wants to use our gifts and our abilities to bless others. Man, I'm telling you, when I was sitting over there, I was getting so excited about that song, thinking about how can it be? And to think he preached the Word of God and from the pulpits and didn't know Christ as his Savior. And he came to that place of like, I need Jesus. How can it be that God would die for me? I was just like overcome with the reality of that again. And man, it was like welling up inside of me. Like God took my, he exchanged his righteousness for my sinfulness. How can it be? Right? God didn't give us our talents and our abilities to keep to ourselves and our treasures. We're to use them to bless others. And listen, you didn't preach a sermon through that song, but I'm telling you, you preached a message through that song. Because I'm telling you, it resonated in my heart as a believer. My soul was stirred within me. You know, as I said at the beginning, we serve an awesome God who's not bound by the laws of science or physics or nature. He's an awesome God and desires to be in relationship with you. Listen to me. I'll tell you what he doesn't promise. He doesn't promise you health, wealth, and prosperity. He does not promise you that. He does not promise you that. He promise you, promises you that He will never forsake you. He promises that when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death as a believer, He will go with you. He promises that in the end, you will have eternal life. And He promises no matter what you need to do His work now, he will provide. That's what He promises. Today, we are challenged with three divine paradoxes. In order to live, you have to die. In order to be first, you have to be last. And in order to have, you have to give. Where is God speaking to your heart? What areas in your life is God still working on as we close in prayer, let's just do business with our Savior. Stand with me. I know our final hymn is getting ready, our final song. And, but I just want you to think about those three simple paradoxes. Think about that first one. Ask yourself the question, God, 
where do I still need to die to myself? What, what areas of myself still just want to be? I just haven't died to that yet. And you know what? Just make that a matter of prayer. God, this is, I know, I know exactly what it is. This is, uh, what areas are you struggling? Man, I just like being first. I want to be first. Maybe God's saying, maybe in this area, why don't you go to the back of the line? Why don't you stay down and wash someone's feet? Why don't you clean that toilet? You get my point. God, am I holding back in the area of my giving? Am I holding back there? Do I need to evaluate where is my heart in my giving? Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we just come before you and we acknowledge you are a great and awesome God. You are not bound by the laws of science or nature, thermodynamics, physics. God, when you step in, you are God. You are over all of those things. You can be everywhere at one time. You know everything. Nothing is hidden from your sight. You are all-powerful. You can create out of nothing. Only you can do that. And so, God, we come before you and we say, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And so today, speak to our hearts. Maybe there's one here that does not know you as Savior. Maybe there's one here that, in coming to church, but they've never truly ever come to a place where they've had their sins truly forgiven, where they've accepted your son's payment for their sin. God, if there's a heart here today that does not know you, draw that person to yourself, Lord, today. Draw that person to yourself. May they not leave here today without getting that great issue settled in their lives. So simple. Just come to Jesus. Admit you're a sinner. Invite him to be your Savior. Repent and start walking the other direction. God, you will give the strength to do that. For those of us, Lord, that do know you, that are just kind of wrestling around with these paradoxes, speak to our hearts, Lord. We don't want to just write them down and not visit them in our lives or evaluate them in our lives, but you deal with the areas that need to be dealt with. We'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.